welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. I'm a great believer in using and utilising what God has given you. Some of you, if you had an accident and couldn't use your legs again, you'd be devastated. I feel like God would say, well, you weren't using them anyway. Come on. You have opportunity every week to just just get a little bit down and boogie for Jesus. And you don't because you're too self-conscious. Some of you young ones, I can outdance you under the table. I'm telling you, man. Got all this youth, got all this energy, and you sit there just too cool for school. Break free. That's what this whole series of identity is all about. It's us being free to be who God has called us to be without the constraints of the things that people put on us. That's what it's all about. This whole series could be entitled Freedom. I've entitled it Identity. And uh, Sean, you just slightly missed the mark, mate, but that's fine. Did he undo my bottle? Oh, he did. Well done. All right. You're doing well? Good. I love this church. I love it, love it, love it. It's awesome. All right. Identity. Part two. Have you noticed that there is a resurgence of interest, particularly in the Anzac Day Parade and being involved in the Anzac Day um, trip to Gallipoli? Have you noticed that over the years it's just growing and growing? When I was growing up, it wasn't a big thing. And now it's almost school, uh, cool to get on a plane to go over to Gallipoli and think back and remember. Hugh McKay says this about that resurgence, that Australia is looking for what St. Patrick's Day does for Ireland. In other words, Australia is in search of identity. Australia is looking for something to be identified for and by. And it's a reflection, I believe, of the great question that everybody has in life, and that is, who am I? Who am I really? I believe that we are living in a generation that has an identity crisis. And it's important that we know who we are. Because if we don't know who we are, we will allow external things to define us. You've got to catch this. If we don't know who we are, we're going to allow external things to define us. And when we allow external things to define us, it distorts who we really are. How many of you remember a show back in the day called Sale of the Century? And there was a segment called, Who Am I? And we would start with, everyone did that joke. Tony Barber would say, who am I? And everyone would shout at the television, you're Tony Barber. (laughs) And Glenn is still doing it today. And they say, I was born in such a year. And they'd be like, no idea. I went into politics at the age of 18. No idea. 
I have brown hair, I have blue eyes, I did movies, I did this, I did that. And then some person, and they take a guess at who Tony Barber or Glenridge or a host of others were trying to describe. And they would use external things to describe the person. And so there's so much of society that panders to external thinking. And when we pander to external thinking, we will never truly know who we really are. Every one of us has an outer shape and we have an inner shape. Here's the deal. You'll never truly know your outer shape until you truly know your inner shape. You'll never know what you are called to do until you know who you are. And that's why this message is so important today. Because we need to know who we are. You see, each and every one of us have a propensity to enhance our identity with things and other opinions. Is that fair to say? Every one of us has this drawing to define who we are by external things. The word identity is made up of two Latin words, idin meaning the same, and facia means to make. And together that means to make the same. And so what I identify with tends to become part of who I am. You getting this? So we identify to certain things and we take that on board as part of our personality and who we are. And this way of thinking started way back when we were kids. Albeit a dummy or a pacifier or a particular blanket Or a drink bottle. I mean, if you don't know what I'm on about, you ask your mum and dad if you had any of those obsessive, compulsive kind of things that you were just drawn to. Or maybe it was a toy. Whatever it was, the attachment to our toys, our blankets, our drink bottles and our pacifiers become an attachment to our jobs Homes, etc., etc., etc. And what we do, we tend to fight to keep these things because our identity is attached to them. Have you ever seen a baby with a pacifier and you try and take the pacifier off them? They fight because that thing has become so much a part of them. And that can be true for a job or a role or a home or a car. We become attached to things because we find our identity in those external things. How many know what I'm on about with a child and you try and get that blanket off them? You try and get that pacifier off them? You try and get that drink bottle off them? You try and get that toy off them? I mean, every one of our kids has been guilty of this. They've got their toys and we, they haven't played with it for years. And we go to clean up and we go to throw it out. And we pick it up and we say, we're going to throw these toys out. No, it's my toy. You haven't played with it for years. But it comes a part of who we are. All the stuff I've got, it's part of who I am. It starts at a very early age. And most of us don't move on from that way of thinking that we adopted as a child growing up. Are you with me today? 
That is true for possessions. It's true of lifestyles, be it the rich and famous. People find their identity in being rich and famous and when they lose their money, they struggle to know who they are because they kind of thought they were something, but they weren't. And now they've lost their money and people don't treat them the same. Then they have an identity crisis and they no longer know who they are. But this is not just a shot at the rich today. It can be equally true for the poor. Some people have defined who they are by what they don't have. I have nothing. And they pride themselves on having nothing. They pride themselves on being the rebel. They pride themselves on growing up in squalor. And they define themselves based on those external things. And so whether you've adopted a lifestyle of the rich and famous or down the other end or anything in between, all of them can be things that stop us finding out who we really are. And so to help us overcome our identity crisis and find out who we are, I want to look at today who we are not. Because knowing who we are not can be very helpful in finding out who we really are. When we eliminate the who we are not in our life, it can leave opportunities for us to discover who we really are. To say, who are you? It can be a massive question and it can take us all our lives to find out. But if we start with who I'm not, we can eliminate many things off the list. And so I want to share some things which are very close to my heart. And if you've been in this church a number of years, you would have heard me share these things before. But I want to go through them nonetheless. The number one thing that you are not is this. You are not what you do. You are not what you do. For example, I am a pastor, but it's not who I am. It's not, even what, it's not even what I do. It's actually one of the things that I do. Because not only am I a pastor, I'm also a husband. And I'm a father, and I'm a friend, and I'm a leader, and I'm a preacher, and I'm a teacher. There's lots of things I do, and none of those things define who I am. Paul had a very good understanding of this. Paul was one of the apostles that wrote most of the New Testament. And whenever he wrote to a church which became the New Testament, he wrote letters to the churches, they were compiled and it became what we know as the Bible today. Whenever Paul began writing to a church, he would say this, I am Paul, comma, an apostle. In other words, he had an understanding of who he was. He said, this is who I am. I am Paul and this is what I do. I am an apostle. He didn't adopt the insecure method of having to have a title to define who he was. He didn't say, hi church, it's the great royal reverend apostle Paul here. He just said, hi, I'm Paul. An apostle, not by choosing, but by the will of God. In other words, Paul knew who he was first, and then he came across what he was called to do by the will of God. This whole identity series is about us finding who we are so that we will know what we have been called to do. And you will never know what you've been called to do unless you find out who you are first. And in order for us to find out who we are first, we've got to find out who we are not. Is this making sense this morning? See, sadly, we've become human doings instead of human beings. And I believe that's why society does not embrace older people well. Because we define you by what you do. And as you get older, there are certain things you can't do anymore. And by and large, 
the communities in which we live do not know how to handle nor treat, nor do they even know what to do with older people. Because they're of no value to us anymore, because they can't do what they used to do. And I think it's an incredible, sad indictment on the community in which we live. Instead of honoring men and honoring women who are that much older than us, and honoring the time that they have served, and honoring the years that they have done many, many things, we just put them out to pasture. And I believe at this root issue of there's a psyche that we just don't know how, how to handle you anymore because you're of no value to us because we've placed the value on what you do. And that has to stop. And it can stop with this church. It can stop with the church. It can stop with this generation. If we will honor people for who they are. Many of you would know that I honor my dad as often as I can And to be honest, he's not in my world as much as he was when I was growing up, nor when I was working with him. But that's got nothing to do with the value he has in my life. We don't have the amount of time together that we used to. But I understand I would not be where I am today if it were not for men like him in my life. And so if he never does another thing, I will honor him and value him all the days of his life. Because his value is not dependent upon what he did. It's because I know him and I love him. And that was irrespective of what he has done. Unfortunately, the church doesn't know this. And so they try to get closer to God by doing things. And doing things is never going to get you closer to God. Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. In other words, all that needs to be done to get close to God has been done by the work of the cross. Jesus Christ completed the work that was needed to get to God. All we need to do now is surrender to him and receive the inheritance of being with God through Christ. Amen? It's not about going to church. It's not about reading your Bible. It's not about giving your offering. That does not get you closer to God. Those should be things that out of a heart of love, they should be a response thing. But if we don't get this, see, if we don't know who God is, we will just continue to try to please Him by our doing. But when you know God and know who He is and tap into His unconditional love, You'll stop trying and you'll just start trusting and you'll start resting and you'll have a life of peace and you'll have a life of joy and you'll actually start resembling something of what the Bible says Christians should be. Our being must precede our doing. If we don't get our being right, we will never get our doing right. If you don't understand me, it's going to seem like I'm contradicting myself because there are other times I've said, get to church. Now you're saying, don't get to church. Which one is it? Well, it's both. But you've got to get your priorities right. If you're coming to church to get closer to God, if you're coming to church to earn favor with God or favor with me or favor with the eldership team, you'll never get it because that's not how you get it. But if you're telling me you love God and you know God and you want to be closer to God, the right response would be to get to church because we've settled who we are and we've settled who God is. You are not what you do. We must discover our inner shape before we discover our outer shape. And that's what I want to look at in a couple of weeks' time. The doing 
but we've got to get our being right. Secondly, you are not what you own. Your homes, your cars, your iPads. I've got to tell you, my identity and my self-worth took a hit this week. As Mr. Jobs announced with great enthusiasm the release of not the iPad, old news, but iPad 2. I looked at my iPad and it didn't have the same appeal anymore. Oh, this old thing, it started to feel heavier. Doesn't look as good. It's pretty fat. It's massive. Doesn't have a camera. Stupid, useless thing. Then I started feeling less about myself. My identity took a hit. Isn't that stupid? I mean, you're laughing because it sounds ridiculous. Enter you. That's what you do. Well, many of us. And to say, I've never done that. Well, you'd be the only person. Enter you. See, when you read the Bible, you've got to know where you fit into the stories Jesus told. If you want to understand God's heart, if you want to understand the Bible, you've got to know who you are in the story. And when you are reading the stories and Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, you're not Jesus. Everyone adopts the position of greatness. That's right, Jesus, tell them off. Jesus, no, no, you're the Pharisee in the story. I'm telling you off. If you don't know who you are in the story, you'll never get the Bible. God, God, you Pharisee, me Pharisee. You know what I'm saying? But we love just to distort it because, you know, oh, that's, you know, and maybe even as I'm telling this story about my iPad, about my little identity wobble as iPad 2 come at you. Some of you are probably saying, yeah, that's right, I've known that about you, Tony. It's not for you to adopt that position. I don't need you to be my watchdog. Your watchdog is the guy in the mirror. Look at him. Look at her. That's who I'm talking to, that guy in the mirror. And you might not have an iPad. And you might be saying, oh, I would kill for an iPad. I'd have an old one. I'd have anything. Until you get it, then you want something else. The, the, here's the thing. The appeal is what you don't have. And the tenor of Scripture is being, is being grateful for what you do have. That's the whole message of the Scriptures. Be grateful for what you do have. Tonight we're going to hear from Moggy and Graham as they've returned from India. And they've come back very grateful for what they do have. You know, before you do a trip to India, you think, oh, I need a bigger home, I need a swimming pool, I need this, I need that. You go to India and think, oh my gosh, I live in a palace. It's called perspective. See, the homes and the lifestyles that we've adopted, that's not the majority of the world. We think it is because it's, our, it's what we know. It's our world. But the majority of the world live in poverty. The majority of the world do not have running water. We need to understand that as a church and we'll start to find our purpose to our money. We'll start to find a purpose to our existence because we're here to give, we're here to help. But if we make it all about us, we're going to miss the point of our existence. See, the thing that the world understands 
is this, just how insecure we are. And that's why they use celebrities to sell things to you that you don't need. You've got to buy this. You don't need it. But when you put Britney Spears or David Beckham or any one of these other celebrities behind a product, all of a sudden, it has an attractional pull in our lives. And we start to think, wow, I really need that. If I, if I could have that, I'd become like them. So in other words, they're not selling products. They're selling identity enhancers. It's not about the perfume. It's about becoming like that person. It's about having their lifestyle. And the world know this and they exploit us. Enter the church bringing messages like this to bring balance to the stuff that we get bombarded with week after week after week. You won't hear this on an advert. You won't hear David Beckham say, hey guys, this perfume, you don't need that. Your identity doesn't define you based on this. You don't need that. Don't buy that. The company's not going to employ David Beckham to say that. The company want you to think that you'll be a better person, just like David Beckham, if you buy this product. And so they play on the identity crisis. The church is here to help the world pry and prey on the weaknesses of people. They pander and exploit the weaknesses. We're trying to help you. Isn't it interesting when it comes to taking up the offering, we get very skeptical with the church, the people who are trying to help, and yet we pour our money into these people who are just ripping us off. Just a thought. Thirdly, you are not what you wear. Here's the thing with designer clothes. Designer clothes are an excuse to cost you more. It's an excuse to put the price up. doesn't mean it's a better product. It's just an excuse to put the price up. And because the price is higher, less people can afford them and they become more exclusive. And because they're more exclusive and you're the only person who can afford them, you feel better about yourself because others can't afford it. You are not what you wear. We have this sense that we will feel better about myself if I just have a pair of jeans that somebody else doesn't have. But in Luke chapter 12, verse 23, it says, Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Now you've got to weigh up that truth, the words of Jesus with the television telling you what you need. Hence why we've been talking a lot about renewing our minds. You are not what you do. You are not what you own. You are not what you wear. Number four, you are not what people say you are. People will have all sorts of opinions about who you are. Isn't it interesting? Just feeling a little bit better at myself so I can show off my iPad again. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 13, he says, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus gets his disciples together. He looks at them and says, who's everybody saying that I am? Who did they think I am? Now, Jesus was doing this for purpose. 
He wasn't unsure about who he was. He was asking that question to know if the disciples knew who he was. You do not want to ask anybody who they think you are if you are not sure who you already are. Jesus did not ask this question because he was in an identity crisis. He asked this question because he needed to know that the people he was working with knew who he was. And so he starts by saying, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say that you are Elijah. Others say that you are Jeremiah. And others say that you're just one of the other prophets. Some say you're a pain in the neck. Some say you're an idiot. Some say that you're arrogant. Some say that you're stupid. Some say that you're fat. Some say that you're a ranger. People will try to label you. People will try to put things on you. And Jesus would have none of it because he knew who he was. Prior to this, he'd heard the voice from heaven say, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. And I want to tell you, when you've heard the father tell you who you really are, it doesn't matter what other people say about you. Jesus brings it right back and says, okay, that's what they say. But what about you? There's a whole world got lots of opinions about God, but what do you say? There's a whole world that's got a lot of opinions about you, but what do you say about you? I want to tell you, if I went on the Facebook emails, letters that I've gotten over the last X amount of years... I could be in Glenside today. If I took on board everything that somebody has said about me and what I've done or who I am and what I should have done, what I shouldn't have done, I would be in a padded room somewhere today. But I've been able to take a letter and weigh it up with what God says. And be able to say, you know what? That's wrong. They just don't know me, God, like you know me. You say I'm the apple of your eye, the pinnacle of all your creation, called and chosen by you, designed by you. They just don't know me like you do, God. They don't know how awesome I am. They don't know how amazing I am. And it's that thinking that's kept me going. And it's that thinking that's going to keep me going. Because a lot of opinions, a lot of people have got a lot of opinions about me, and I know that. But what I love about Jesus, he knows. He's not surprised. He's not saying, did they really? Really? Oh my God, God. Oh my God, God. They said that about me. Jesus didn't have to go in the prayer closet and say, oh, Father, I didn't know it was going to be this hard. He's like, hard? You're going to go to the cross yet? Jesus hears all this stuff that's being said about him. He goes, okay, cool. Now, what about you guys? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, by divine revelation, 
says, you're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the one that was prophesied about. Or thereabouts. I'm not reading it. Something like that. And Jesus' response to Peter is this. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man. So don't get carried away. That was good, but it wasn't you. It was God. You're not that clever. They love Jesus. And we say, oh, that's right. I've read that before. And I thought, you know, and we think we're Jesus. No, we're Peter, okay? We got it. <laughs> we're the guy going, and Jesus says, don't get too carried away. That was God. Jesus, God, Peter, us, okay? People are so ungracious on Peter. They read the Bible, oh, Peter, he's just such an idiot. <laughs> so are we. People are very ungracious when they read the Bible. Oh, doubting Thomas, as if you've never doubted. Oh, look at Thomas doubting away. Like, who hasn't doubted? Peter cuts someone's ear off. What do you got to understand about that? Is only prior to that, Jesus said, Hey, look, you know, there was a time I said, Don't carry a sword. Now I'm saying, Carry a sword. There was a time I said, Come in peace. Now I'm saying, I'm telling there's going to be hassles between family members. So I think Peter's thinking, wow, I've just heard Jesus say we've got to carry a sword. He pulls out his sword because Jesus said, talked about swords just a few verses earlier. Cuts off his ear. I think Pete's thinking, oh, I'm doing, I'm such a good boy. And Jesus is like, what are you doing, man? And Pete's like, well, you just said sword. No, it's not a sword. It is a sword. Because he's struggling with who he is. He's struggling with trying to work out who Jesus is. But on this occasion, he has this divine revelation of who Jesus is. And here's the thing, it was a twofold revelation because Peter not only has a revelation about who Jesus is, but because he knows who Jesus is, he has a revelation about who he is. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter. Simon, reed, blown to and fro. Peter, solid rock. You are Peter. He has a revelation about who God is. And then has a revelation about who he is. Why I believe every person needs to know who God is. Because without knowing who God is, you'll never truly understand who you are. When you find God, you find yourself. When you give him your life, you find life. When you surrender, you find freedom. Life and identity are not found in what people say. See, people will always try and put things on you. Little illustration, sorry mums, don't mean to be too unkind, but how many of you really have got little Johnny or little Susie ready for school and it's cold outside and you put a jumper on them? They're not cold, but you are. And you put on them how you are feeling. We've made a lot of enemies at school because we think our kids are big enough, old enough, and ugly enough to work out whether they're cold or not. They don't need me to tell them to put on a jumper. If they're cold, they'll put on a jumper. They don't need to wear a jumper because I'm cold. And so because we've just let them go as they feel, we've had mums come to say, oh, you make it hard for us at school. It's really hard to get my kid to wear a jumper while your kid's not wearing a jumper. I'm thinking, maybe he doesn't want a jumper. Maybe he's just not cold. Because you're cold, it doesn't mean they're cold. 
Because you had a bad marriage doesn't mean everyone has to have a bad marriage. It doesn't mean because a man hurt you, every man is of the devil. Got to stop putting things on people if you're doing it. But we've also got to stop people putting things on us. Otherwise, we'll never know who we are. In putting a jumper on little Johnny or little Susie when they're not cold, you're saying, you're cold. They say, no, I'm not. And that's the problem. We're telling them what they are when they're not that. That's the problem. You're cold. And they're saying, I'm not cold. And if they give in to that, we are setting a cycle in their life where they will just be told what they are, who they are. And they'll distort what cold and hot feels like. Well, I I thought I was warm, but I'm obviously not. I'm obviously cold because mum told me I'm cold. Powerful, huh? It's got to start somewhere. Let's let it start in the home. Let revival, forget the world, let revival start in your heart, let it start in your marriage, let it start in your home. By stop putting things on your kids. And you know what? If they go to school without their jumper and they get freezing, guess what? They'll bring their jumper the next day. And they may get really lucky, they may get so cold that they get a cold and have to have the school day day off. I mean, it's a win-win. I mean it's just awesome. Can I just say this is by way of parenting? The way we've tried to raise our kids is not stop them doing dangerous things. We try to stop them doing sinful things, but not dangerous things. So when we went to Madagascar, every kid had a sharp knife in one hand and a sharp stick in the other. It was dangerous, but it wasn't sinful. When one started stabbing one kid, that was sinful. How did they stop that? Don't let your kids do some dangerous things. I want to to do a whole series on risk. Everything's so namby-pamby, sanitized. It's ridiculous. Little girls are growing up little girls. Little boys are growing up little girls. It's ridiculous. (laughs) It's absolutely ridiculous. Kids don't know who they are because we're distorting it. You might be a little bit different. And when you're a little bit different, people are quick to label you. I've always been labelled, but very few people have got the label right. Been labelled ever since I can remember. People trying to box me. He's that guy, he's this guy. I'm sure they've done it to you. But one of the saddest things for me is having a good friend of mine who was a little bit different. He wasn't wasn't a blokey man, he was more effeminate. I'll, I'll grant you that. And I remember having this conversation with him. I said, just because you're a certain way and you like doing certain things doesn't mean you're gay doesn't mean you're homosexual. Don't let people talk you into it. You're a man called by God to be a man. You just like different things. And there's nothing wrong with that. Be the best man you can doing what you enjoy doing. And don't let people tell you what you are. And while he was in and around that environment, he thrived. When he got out of that covering, he started listening to everyone else and now has adopted a homosexual lifestyle. And he probably feels he's coming to this freedom because he's not denying who he really wants. I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. Every sector of the media now is saturated with homosexuality. 
And we're led to believe it's this massive core group of people, and it's not. Do you hate homosexuals? No, I don't. We are here for every broken, confused, hurting, rich, poor, whatever person. We are here. But I don't have to embrace the lifestyles. Some of you come from debauched lifestyles. And as God has entered your heart and life, you've changed because God has done a work in your life. And that would be right. And I can't help but feel that, that this man and, and many others have adopted a certain lifestyle because of just what the media have thrown at him. And it's okay now and it's normal now. It ain't normal. It ain't normal. I get that there's temptation. But whether it's over your sexuality or whether it's in your singleness and you've got testosterone and, and you've got to withhold from embracing a certain lifestyle of, 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 of lust and, and, and just sleeping around, that's the cross. That's the challenge. That, that's the thing that makes us a better person. So we're not isolating or singling out a particular group of people being unkind. I'm just simply saying, if we listen to what everyone says, we're just not going to live the life that God has called us to live. Let God define us. You know, even if you do a shapes course and finding out your God-given shape, and, and you do it and you find that you're more administrative or you're more this, you know what, as good as that is, and as helpful as that could be, at the end of the day, you've still got to discover it for yourself. You can't have somebody tell you. Even if you come to me as the pastor or one of the other pastors, and they tell you, you've still got to discover it for yourself. Even my voice isn't enough for you. Only God truly knows who you are. And only God can truly reveal who you are. If you've got a problem with a car, you go to the manufacturer. Someone who's an expert in dealing with cars. You go to a mechanic. You don't go to an IT specialist who's kind of got, you know, dabbles with cars on the side. You go to someone who knows cars. When you've got a people problem, you go to someone who knows people. And no one knows people better than God. He made us. He created us. He formed us. He knew us before we were born. He knows our last day before the earth was even formed. He knows our last day. That's how well he knows us. If I'm going to go to someone, I'm going to go to God. You are not what people say you are. Number five, you are not where you live. Your, ident- uh, sorry, your address has nothing to do with your identity. Some of you come from different suburbs. And because of where you come or where you grew up, you've been in the brunt of certain jokes. But so was Jesus. In, one, in John chapter 1, verse 46, Nathaniel's response to Philip when he said, come, come see a man I met. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response is this, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Elizabeth, 
Can anything good come from there? I was born in Elizabeth. Flipping awesome. So why, if, if, if what I'm saying is true, why do we struggle and strive so hard to get a better house in a better area, to get an even better house in an even better area? And we've got work, wifey working and hubby working two jobs and we don't see the kids anymore and we're worn out. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? If what I'm saying is true, why do we do that? talking to someone recently, they came around our house and they said, how long have you been here? I said, 12 years. I, said, oh, I suppose you'll be looking at moving now so soon. <laughs> well, it's just because, it's like, because the psyche is you've got to keep doing, you've got to keep moving, you've got to keep, there's something wrong with society. We have massive mortgages to build certain homes to live in certain suburbs. You know what Ecclesiastes 4 verse says? 9 verse 4 says, Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. Give me a yappy little alive dog. Give me a chihuahua that's alive than a big, strong lion that's dead. Got people with massive mortgages and it's killing them. They are dead. They're like the living dead. Got no time to think, no time to offer, no time to love, no time to give, no time to care, no time for anything other than paying off the mortgage. Better a live dog from Elizabeth. Better that than a massive house and you're killing you. Some of you, if you really want to embrace this message, some of you need to sell the homes you're in. And you think, oh, that's a cult. I'm just saying, if you want life, I'm just saying, some of you cannot sustain your lifestyles. And Jesus' answer for that is this, sell. Sell. Get rid of. Let go. Make adjustments. Because that's always the answer. It's not keep doing the same thing. I'm struggling. Oh, well, keep doing the same thing. Can't afford the mortgage because I've got a house I just can't afford. Oh, just keep going. Praise God. Sell. Get rid of it. And that doesn't mean people can't have nice homes. And if you're struggling, it's not for you now to be judge and jury over every other person who's got a nicer home than you. That's not what this is about. This is about your bank balance and what you can afford. Because God has gifted us all differently. And based upon those giftings, it means some can earn more money because of those giftings. That's just the way God, he's, he's, he's the potter. We're the clay. He just does it that way. Some people's jobs are going to earn much more than you ever will. Fine. But it's better to do what you're called to do and be happy. You can't put a price on happiness, job satisfaction. I've been in the workforce for over 20 years, 28, 7 years, I think it is. And I've, just, I've always had job satisfaction. I've always done what I've loved doing. I'm not a millionaire by any stretch of imagination, but I have job satisfaction. I love life, and I have time for my wife. I have time for my kids. I love life. The last one is, you are not what's in your bank account. The Bible says, what would it profit you if you gained the whole world? But forfeit your soul. Can I just say this in closing? Because I'm so out of time, it's not funny. If our musicians can come, that'd be great. The answer to internal problems are never found in external things. The television 
are saying, feeling bad, feeling lonely, feeling sad, buy this. Won't help. Put this makeup on, get your hair done. And you might feel better about yourself for a moment, but it won't last. Internal problems must be dealt with internally, not externally. And so in closing, leaving out much of what I was going to say this morning, I want to say this, that we need to separate ourselves from the power of external things. That's where it starts. There's nothing wrong with external things, nothing wrong with having nice homes, nice clothes. That's not a message that we go around now in sackcloth and ashes. That is not the message. I love clothes, I love nice things. And by God's grace, I hope I can have some of those things into the future. The problem becomes when I'm attached to those things and they bring about a self-worth. That's the problem. When we place more emphasis on the thing to give us our identity, that's the problem. And we need to uncouple ourselves from the attachment of external things. And it's only then that we'll have true freedom. It's only then that we'll have real life and find out who we really are. Paul says in Philippians, and if we can have it up on the screen, that'd be great. Paul says this, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. Paul's not against plenty and he's not against need. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the key. This is not a message that, you know, someone who's... Do, please don't sit there thinking, oh, I hope so-and-so is listening to this. He's got a bit more money than me. That's not the message. Because Paul's saying, I've had plenty and I've had nothing. But I've learned to be content. And I imagine Paul would be choosing plenty over and above need, but it's not the issue because he knows who he is. This giving over is an impossibility outside of the strength of Christ. Paul says, I've learned to be content, but only because of the strength of Christ. Because only Christ can reveal who we really are. And it's when we know who we really are that things don't really matter. It's about taking the power away from the things that have a hold over you. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 40, 5 verse 40, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Don't fight it. Let go. When a rich man came to Jesus and he said, what more must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? He said, give away everything you've got. It wasn't that Jesus wanted to be poor. He wanted to be free from the attachment of money. I think had he actually done what Jesus said, who knows? Maybe he could have just exponentially got more money, but it's the attachment. He said, but I'm the rich young ruler. Without the rich young ruler, I'm just young. You please stand with me. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.